I think everybody can talk about it. Let's start with leaders. I think talking about neurodiversity, evangelizing or, or being curious, leading, sponsoring, change programs, training, ERGs and so on. I think that's powerful. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Recruitment Podcast. It's your host, Neil Carberry here, and I'm about to serve up some thought-provoking discussion with the leading voices in the sector. Keep listening as we delve into the hottest issues in recruitment and staffing right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name's Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. It's a real pleasure to have you along today for another discussion of a hot topic in recruitment and staffing. Um, Delighted to be sharing some new work with you today that we've done at the REC with a partner and discussing what I think is a really important topic. Before we get to today's topic, though, just a couple of updates from your REC team. Obviously, as we go into the year, we're looking at the state of the market. And if you'd like the latest REC data, you can have a look at the uh, jobs outlook for January, which was published on the 25th in the morning. There's also the labour market tracker which was published on the 20th in the afternoon. And the story that we think we're seeing broadly, looking back on our billings data for December as well, is that while the market has maybe gently slowed over the last few months, demand still seems to be pretty strong out there. If you look at the labour market tracker, actually job ads in the first week of January 2023 were higher than those in the first week of January 2022. And we'll keep watching that data. Obviously, the Billings data for January comes out in early February, so do watch that. Other things going on at your REC right now, well, if you are in Scotland or Wales, do come along to our national forum meetings in February. It's always really great great to get around the table in person with the recruiters and discuss the key issues uh, that we're facing, everything from working time rules where the government's recently announced a consultation on the Harper Trust judgment, which has harnessed a lot of the feedback that REC members shared with the department. Really good development that through to issues like how technology is changing the the industry and and of course upcoming regulatory changes. One of the things that we're doing broadly in our campaigning is making sure that both sides of the House of Commons are hearing the views of recruiters. We saw how we've entered this long election campaign with the competing speeches made in the first week of January by uh, Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak. Actually, when you look in detail, both parties are looking for ideas about the future of the labour market. And the REC uh, just recently on the 24th of January held our parliamentary reception with MPs from all parties talking about how important it is to get recruitment right, really getting a message out there about recruitment and staffing as a professional services business. I think that's doing really good work in terms of the standing of the industry in the public square. And of course, through the year, one of our big tasks is to make sure we're taking those messages to clients as well, both via you and the material the REC gives you and directly in the REC's campaigning. So lots going on. Uh, do check all of that out at rec.uk.com. Come along to a sector group, come along to one of our national or regional forums, get in touch with your account manager. There's always a good, good conversation to have there about how we can support your business and support the sector. Now, one of the most important things in 
my thinking and our board's thinking at the REC this year is about how the sector as a professional service makes a difference on equality, diversity and inclusion. And earlier in the month, we published an excellent guide with our partners Optimize on neurodiversity in recruitment. And this is a topic that I think has been getting more and more attention over the last few months. It's a hugely important one. When we surveyed REC members, there was a clear sense that there was a talent pool in neurodiversity that was as yet not being fully put to work by the British labour market. So I'm delighted to welcome Ed Thompson to our podcast uh, from Optimise. Ed, a real pleasure to have you on the REC podcast. Thank you, Neil. Great to join you. Tell me, just to begin, a little bit about Optimize and and how this focus on neurodiversity with the REC came together. And then maybe it would be nice to dig through some of the key takeaways from the, the work we've done. Absolutely. So we're the leading neuroinclusion training company. We train employers to include people who think in different ways. And we work with organisations like Salesforce, Deloitte, Accenture, IBM and so on to deliver on our mission to help organizations embrace and leverage every type of thinker. My background was actually nothing to do with diversity, nothing to do with people, even until I was working for a CEO in London. And between us, we realized actually people were probably the most important thing we were, um, we had to consider, you know, how do you build a team that thinks differently, a team that can compete and thrive in the 21st century. So I got more and more involved in, in in people that took me to strategic diverse recruitment initiatives actually looking at how do we you know go out and, and recruit talent that that thinks differently and and you know it was a few steps from from that and uh, something that resonated with me having had a traumatic brain injury to start considering neurodiversity something that at the time when I started optimize very very few people were uh, we're doing. I'm glad to see that that's changing and, and, and great to work with the REC to bring this topic to your members as well. And let's just um, maybe roll the pitch a little for our, our, our discussion because people will come to this podcast with different levels of understanding of neurodiversity, neuroinclusion and, and the neurodivergent community. When we talk about a neurodiver- neurodivergent People we're thinking about people who uh, might identify as autistic or have a diagnosis of ADHD, but that's not an exclusive list. There's a wide range of potential ways in which people might come to uh, that that sense of being neurodivergent. Is that fair? Yeah, it's actually it's actually quite a debated topic. I think the best place to start, and especially with I'm a recruiter and I'm thinking about candidates. The best place to start is neurodiversity as a whole, which means that humans have different brains. There's no one normal brain. And some people within that human spectrum may identify as being neurodivergent. And commonly, commonly sort of accepted forms of neurodivergence, as you mentioned, could be autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, dyspraxic, or any combination of those. It's debated as to whether some other diagnoses fall under that label. But again, I would always suggest recognising that candidates in this case have different brains is the place to start. And of course, then you take that piece around, you know, the core goal of any organisation in wanting to embrace diversity and inclusion is wanting people to bring their whole self to work. So if people are 
starting from different positions, one of the things that we need to understand, uh, and you know, this is a debate that's well understood, for instance, in terms of LGBTQIA inclusion in the workplace, is that if you're working hard to conform with a kind of social expectation in the workplace, and you go back to the LGBT piece, that was kind of people who in previous decades might have not been out at work, for people who are coming with a different from various neurodivergent positions, that piece about how you are have traditionally been expected to be in the workplace might be more difficult for people coming from certain places than than from others. That whole thing about having to mask in in the workplace is is something that's quite important for us to understand, isn't it? Yes, I think. You, you have a from you know from the employer's point of view sometimes there's and, and and how it's experienced by the employee there can be a, a dissonance I think between a culture of you know this is how we do it and and expectations in terms of communication behavior uh, the time that we work and so on um, and process as well any organization as it starts to to grow what needs to put processes in place for efficiency but all of those things I think can counter the need and we know there's a real need in the 21st century for innovation and creativity and different thinking and we have certainly spoken with organizations and individuals within those organizations battling with you know those two things i think if you're a neurodivergent person who brings creative thinking brings a different way of problem solving and so on in theory any organization should want that thinking in the organization because it's going to make them smarter. But in practice, they can face barriers, barriers of, you know, we don't do it like that, barriers of, you know, you're not the person in the hierarchy to make that decision and so on. So I think there's a there's a really kind of major theme here, actually, in terms of, you know, what do organizations want to be? You know, do you want to do you want to be so process oriented and, and rigid that you can't evolve or do you recognize that you need to evolve and do you actually then take steps to optimize that and i think a, a major step is being able to attract and get the most out of the range of human brains at that point completely and if i look into the survey that we did together there's a couple of stats that just sing out to me one is that you know seven in ten recruiters said they were aware that the processes that they're running now uh, create some barriers to neurodiverse workers you kind of in it through a traditional hiring process and there's all sorts of ways in which that might happen which we're going to explore and eight out of ten recruiters said they'd had no training in kind of understanding how to change things now for me as sort of chief exec of the of the sector association that says do something about that carberry and the re part of the guide is is part of the rec's commitment to helping the industry on that but I think it's a starting place that isn't unique to uh, recruiters as a broad challenge for firms to understand how to do this well. So I suppose I might, I suppose the first question when I think about, okay, so we know there's an issue here and we know there's an, a talent pool and we know diversity leads to better decisions. And, you know, if you're recruitment and you're a professional service and increasingly the values can be driven by the quality of the advice and the steer you give clients, you're going to want that diversity to give you to give you higher quality service. How can businesses who get all this 
start to make themselves more appealing to neurodiverse candidates? Well, let's consider the people within an organisation and what they can do maybe based on their role or seniority. I think everybody can talk about it. Let's start with leaders. I think talking about neurodiversity, evangelising or or being curious, leading, sponsoring, change programmes, training, ERGs and so on. I think that's powerful, particularly powerful when leaders are, of course, themselves neurodivergent, which is pretty common and no surprise, I think, when we consider some of the great business people of our age, many of them are neurodivergent. So no surprise that that's can be the same in, in organisations, even if those people have, have masked up to that point. But then anybody and your audience, your individual recruiters, anybody can start talking about considering neurodiversity and practising neuroinclusion in, in their daily work, even just to the extent of talking about communication preferences, problem-solving preferences, and things like that, and actually introducing their own and saying, look, this is how I like to do things, but I recognise that other people and, you know, you who I'm talking to might be different. And all these little tactics across all areas of, of talent management and, you know, communication that we train. And if people are unfamiliar with that, and to your point in the survey, we did find people saying that, you know, they hadn't had a bunch of training and they weren't, for example, particularly comfortable interviewing in a neuroinclusive way, then I think, you know, you can ask for for training, that you can ask your HR or, or diversity folks, if, is this a topic on the agenda? You can point to other organisations that are doing this. We're talking with lots of organisations at the moment that are doing surveys on areas of DEI that they want to find out, you know, what their, what their employers, what their employees want to focus on. And neurodiversity is coming up a lot. And actually, that is prompting action. I don't think that should be a surprise when maybe 15, 20% of people are neurodivergent and DEI up to this point has never to be uh, considered. I think that's a really powerful point. And one of the things that runs through that is that question of neurodivergent people themselves will be able to tell us something to give us some pointers. That doesn't mean it's on, on them to change the workplace. It's on us to change the workplace, but it's an element of listening on our part uh, as business leaders is really, really important. So you look at a kind of standard traditional recruitment process, which might have interviews, presentations, a junior level might have group exercises for graduate schemes. Those will play very differently for people with different elements of neurodiversity in their uh, in their makeup. So there's there's something there about just asking and having the flexibility to know that for some candidates, a panel interview will be absolutely fine. For other candidates, they will want a different way to demonstrate. And having that kind of flexibility or indeed reasonable adjustments to that to that panel interview, having a way to have that discussion with candidates and ultimately with staff as well is really important. So in the, in the spirit of that piece around listening to the community that we're trying to include. In your experience, Ed, where do neurodiverse candidates feel the biggest barriers to them working effectively lie? Well, I think you captured a bunch of them in simply getting a job, right? Hiring processes, which is what we're talking about here with with your audience. I think there can be barriers throughout hiring processes across, if you like, like people, process, technology. People don't know much about this. We saw that that was a pretty patchy reality with our survey. We know that, as you said, some of these formats can be 
challenging for people and suits some brains more than others. And interviewing is one of them. And yet, if again, as we saw in the survey, if if most people don't know how to interview neuroinclusively, then you're using a format that might immediately disadvantage some, and you're running it in a in a non-inclusive way, which I think is not difficult to see that that could be a barrier. Process stuff. I mean, just being over reliant on interviews. I think you made the point really well that any recruitment device or tool, and let's get onto tech there can suit some people more more than others. If we just assume that everything suits everybody, I think that's when we start unintentionally excluding, particularly with with filtering. Um, But I think if we're talking barriers, we have to go beyond recruitment as well, because I want to reflect the experiences of the community that we've captured at Optimize with our community focus groups. And really the, the biggest barrier still that people describe is cultural simply you know people not knowing about neurodiversity people thinking they know but what they think they know is wrong or warped by stereotype you mentioned masking i think that is what incentivizes masking you know if my friend comes out as neurodivergent and nobody can believe it because they're a woman and people say oh i didn't know you could be autistic and and a woman married you know all of this stuff which is what happens maybe the next person thinks well i'm going to keep my mouth shut and they feel uncomfortable people they can't bring their full self to work they can't ask for adjustments and so on so i think we need to recognize that there is just a cultural learning here for everybody and as we build that we can start putting some changes in place for example in hiring processes to actually you know open up recruitment as well as organizations to to these talent pools so we kind of know some aspects of this don't we we know we know that leadership matters so getting neurodiversity out uh, on the table as an issue that the organization cares about and setting out the concern about that is important to the organization is giving cover to uh, people whoever they are to make sure that they're thinking flexibly around all of this and is also uh, supporting uh, people who identify as neurodivergent and their confidence to bring them themselves to to work openly describe for me ed then what this looks and feels like when it's working really well and you might want to restrict yourself to recruitment but if you feel you want to roam more freely over the workplace field please do so what does this look and feel like in an organization when it's working really well it's a great question i do think it's often a journey i think there can be a Uh, misconception or that that maybe you know we have to sort of get there in one step and we have to achieve perfection immediately and I don't think that's the case I think from listening to the community people in the community really value organizations beginning and going on that journey and exploring this topic and listening to people and actually having a long-term commitment to be neuroinclusive and not looking for a quick fix, not considering that, you know, one live session on the topic means, okay, we've ticked that box. Um, To me, everything changes when you start getting at that cultural ignorance and you pivot people from not thinking about neurodiversity and neuroinclusion in their daily interactions. And that could be interviews, that could be, you know, phone call with a candidate, could be a team meeting could be talking with your manager, to recognising that every single interaction we have at work 
involves people with different brains. And what does that mean in practice? That means that different people have different ways of communicating, different preferences, different ways of working, different strengths, different ways of problem solving and, and so on. And that's just such a fundamental reality. And it's crazy that we're not considering that at the moment, but we need to be. And if we start considering that, I think everything then flows from there. And what we see is managers, HR folks, recruiters and so on saying, well, in that case, obviously, I need to learn more about this so that I can really practice this in my particular work area. So we see this kind of virtuous path where people recognize that the way they think isn't how everybody else thinks and they are increasingly equipped to you know to practice that across the organization so yes individuals talking about this is how we spark it i think to your question you know what does this look like when it's working well it looks like individual recruiters for example just practicing little micro pieces of what i would call neuroinclusion so you're you're running a an in-person interview, perhaps you start by asking, you know, are you comfortable in this space? Little things like that. Now, little things like that, we multiply them, we scale them, and the experience of people who are neurodivergent is transformed. Absolutely fascinating. I think what I've heard there speaks to just this idea of doing things with a bit of intentionality, that piece around just being clear about the why and the structure for each situation so isn't tiny actions micro actions you said ed and i think that's absolutely that that absolutely resonates with me it's just making sure that you thing on a steady path in each of your interactions and and just learning to get that into the 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 day-to-day operation of your organization and from a leader's perspective giving it the push before we move on to sort of draw this together a little bit you as a almost as a side mention you mentioned technology earlier and one of the things that certainly occupies my mind a lot is the role of technology in not only easing the kind of the practical flow of recruitment processes but increasingly doing some of the the work of sifting and selection uh, and we know that there are famous examples of this not going well on EDI grounds. When companies are thinking about what technology does for them in a recruitment context, what are the two or three things maybe they should bear in mind to make sure it stays neuro inclusive? Great question. I don't think there's anything wrong with technology per se, but I think we have to be aware of the risk. And if a tool is a filtering tool which a lot of this hiring technology is then is there a risk and has this risk been addressed that it may filter candidates out because of the way that they think and the way that they think not syncing with the demands of the technology so we hear for example many gripes from the community about psychometric tests which of course ubiquitous and one major filtering tool we hear gripes as well over things like video interviewing tools and a, you know a tool which has you interview yourself and maybe on a, on, under timed conditions and so on again it might suit some people it might not suit everybody now my personal view is that doesn't mean we have to sweep 
technology out. It just means that, again, we have to acknowledge that there is a risk to all of these tools and a risk we need to mitigate. And can we, for example, have folks in the organisation road test some of these? Can we actually, you know, badge them as being inclusive? And can we actually seek out? It's a bit like sort of, you know, seeking out organic food or something, you know, can we seek out tech where they've obviously made an effort to test the tools with different types of, of thinkers? So that's that's one piece. I wanted to flag one other thing in this field, which I think is, mm-hmm. is important, which is neurodivergent people, particularly older neurodivergent people, may well have, through no fault of their own, a patchier employment history because of working in organisations that weren't neuroinclusive. And I hope that's starting to change for younger generations. But that's also something that we've heard from the community, you know, periods of unemployment or or underemployment, whether immediately after graduating or later in life. And those are things that I think recruiters can be primed to judge quite harshly and think, oh, well, you know, why why is there this gap? I have a gap in my resume around, you know, recovering from my car accident, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that we don't judge people necessarily without understanding the stories behind it. I think that's a really powerful point because as recruiters, the question we should ask, and forgive me using your personal experience as an example, Ed, is tell me about what happened then. And there's a story and a reason there, and it's about understanding someone's experience. And I think part of, for us as recruiters, is not to use lazy proxies, but to develop some some tools to understand the potential of candidates, whatever their background. I think, you know, neurodiversity is an incredibly important topic, set in the context broadly of an area where the UK has an untapped talent pool. So there's a lot that we can do together. That's why I'm delighted to publish this guide. Now, listeners who are interested in reading more, as I hope you will be, do go to the uh, practical guides part of the uh, of the REC website where you'll find the guide available for you. There it's got lots really great great steers in terms of just beginning to take this journey and as ed has said a real uh, a real process there of starting a journey not finishing a journey in a single bound uh, so do take a look at that on the website at rec.uk.com i think it's a great bit of work that the team have put together with ed and the team at optimize i think it's something that we'll come back to at the rec and ed Firstly, thank you for joining us today. And if people want to know a little bit more about you and about Optimize, where should they look? Thanks, Neil. Again, I'm, I'm really happy that we've published this guide together. We know recruiters have such a key role here. We've surveyed and interviewed recruiters ourselves. We've heard their frustrations sometimes that you know they are proposing diverse candidates to uninterested hiring managers. Again, I hope all of this helps your audience to to bring this topic to to their work and to their clients. We're at optimize.com. Anybody wants to find out more about us, anybody wants to reach me personally, ed.thompson at optimize.com, I'd be happy to hear from you on on any aspect of this topic and, and your experiences. Ed, that's fantastic. Thank you for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. 
And thank you to all of you for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this discussion, do dig into that guide on the website. It's something that I'm sure we'll come back to on the podcast uh, in in future. Or if you'd like another listen uh, right now, the first episode of our 2023 series was on flexibility and the future of work and the current shortages with Mark Thompson uh, from uh, Sonovate digging into their new workplace survey really interesting listen there or if you'd like something a little bit more across the sweep of the year the last episode of last year 22 from 22 was with me and our deputy chief executive kate shoesmith looking at the economic trends and we'll return to that in the next few months as well but for now do dig into that guide i think it's a really important bit of work thanks again to ed thank you to you for joining us and talk to you again soon on another episode of talking recruitment the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.